Good evening and a very, very warm welcome to St. Michael's. I'm delighted to welcome you here for this wonderful occasion. I think the only thing that you need to know as you have your service sheet with you is that we stand for the carols and we sit for everything else. So let's stand and enjoy our opening carol. Sit. At this time, let us prepare to hear the good news of God's amazing love made known to us in the birth of Jesus. And in heart and mind, let us go to Bethlehem and with the angels sing our praise to God. But first, let us pray for the needs of the world. 
for peace and goodwill amongst all his nations, for unity within the church he came to build, for love and harmony in our communities, our families and our homes, and for a blessing on those dear to us and on our loved ones absent from home. And because this would rejoice his heart, let us remember in his name those for whom Christmas brings little joy, the poor and homeless, the hungry and the oppressed, the sick and those that mourn, victims of human tyranny, cruelty and oppression, and all those who don't know the Lord Jesus or who don't love him. And lastly, let us remember with thanksgiving those who shared our Christmases in years gone by and who now rejoice with us in the greater light of God's heavenly company. These prayers let us gather up in the words of a Lord's Prayer together as we pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. The first reading is taken from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everything that comes into the world he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord.
The second reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Isaiah prophesies the coming of the Messiah. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep distress, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord.
The third reading is taken from Luke, chapter 2, reading from verses 1 to 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there were no guest rooms available for them. This is the word of the Lord.
fourth reading is <clears throat> the fourth reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter two, verses eight to ten. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord.
I grew up in a um, totally vehemently atheist household. So for me, uh, when I was younger, it wasn't even on my radar, you know, Christianity or faith of any sort. Um, but I married into a Christian family and slowly, slowly over the years, um, their sort of way of life and the sort of peace and grace through which which they sort of moved through life with just rubbed off and I got interested and I got curious and I wanted to see what it was about. Um, well, I was 19 years of age and I'd been to a convent and so I was very religious without any faith and uh, friends of mine started talking about knowing Jesus and to be honest at the time I found it immensely irritating but I went along to talks with them and I then realized that actually what I had previously was religion but I didn't have the relationship and that is what made all the difference. I was brought up in a Christian home and I think when you're brought up in a Christian home, you're dragged along to church, but there has to be a point where your faith becomes your own and not your, your, your parents. And I think for me, um, I wasn't, didn't get punched in the face by God um, in that respect, but I did just see God move in those people around me, which made me take notice, particularly when you see miraculous things happening to your own family. I saw my dad get healed, um, not needing back surgery and then he got healed and, and, and didn't need back surgery anymore. Um, so I think that definitely piqued my interest, yeah. No specific moments. It was a cumulative effect of lots of little um, sort of moments of interest. A book that started me thinking that, that God was so much bigger than I'd ever realised and so much more loving than I'd ever realised was a book called God of Surprises. The biggest difference is this, is knowing his, his peace is always with me. Um, he's my... Yes, he's my the person who guides me and leads me and the person to whom I can turn and the person actually also that I can be totally honest. Ah, Christmas. All about family um, and a time of the year that you can Contemplate what's actually important. Stop and take stock of your life. Um, get back in touch with God. I think what I'm always reminded of Christmas is that Jesus came to bring love, joy, hope and peace. And who doesn't want that in their life? You might think that it's not for you, you're not the right kind of person. That's what I thought for a very long time. Um, but I think you're wrong. <laughs> I think you should give it a go and it can't hurt, what's the worst that can happen?
upon a time, I was a vicar. And I used to find, being a vicar, um, the bits that I found the most tiresome were all the policies about health and safety, risk assessments, and safeguarding. Now, I understood them. I understood why they were necessary. But I must confess to you that I found them rather irritating. And if the nativity was ever subject to such policies, then I think it would go something like this. Please note, only persons who've been subject to DBS checks and have enhanced clearance are permitted to visit baby Jesus. Face masks must be worn if you've recently had a cough, a fever, or a loss of taste. Jingle bells dashing through the snow in one horse open sleigh. A risk assessment must be submitted before an open sleigh is considered safe for members of the public to travel in. The risk assessment must also consider whether it's appropriate to use only one horse for such a venture, particularly if passengers are of a larger proportion. While shepherds watch their flocks by night, all seated on the ground. While the National Union of Shepherds has complained that it breaches health and safety regulations and insists that shepherds watch their flocks without appropriate seating arrangements should be provided. Therefore, benches, stools, and orthopedic chairs are now available, and that they should watch their flocks in centrally heated uh, shepherd huts through CCTV cameras. Please note, angel of the Lord, to supply uh, glasses so that all harmful UVA, UVB, and glory should be screened out. Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer has a very shiny nose, and if you ever saw him, you would even say it glows. Well, you are advised under equal opportunities policy, it's inappropriate for persons to make comment with regard to the ruddiness of any part of Mr. Reindeer. Father, to this exclusion of Mr. Reindeer from the Mr. Reindeer games will be considered discriminatory and action will be taken against those found guilty of this offence. Now, I think it's probably more likely that uh, if those same policies were operating 2,000 years ago, uh, the uh, shepherds probably were on strike. The angelic hosts were slightly short-staffed and could only provide one glory shiner, but only at half power because of uh, um, global warming. And the three magi, of course, will not turn up because they're working from home. But actually, strangely, when Isaiah wrote this passage in Isaiah 9, the context actually wasn't terribly different from what you might expect today. Let me tell you the context. The context was that in, in 734 BC, the old king was dead and the new king, Ahaz, was totally and utterly weak and useless and compromised. What was worse is that the Assyrians were massing on the border and they were about to invade They'd already invaded the north, and little Judah was next. And things at home weren't great either. They were far from good. Wealth was unevenly distributed in the hands of a few elite. Justice was rare, exploitation rife, and religious observance was nominal. They'd lost all sense of any faith in God. So in the words of verse 2, the people were walking in darkness. They were walking as if they had no sense whatever 
of hope and of God's presence. They were living with a shadow like shadow of death hanging over them. And they must have asked, well, what could bring light, what could bring hope in this very difficult national crisis? Well, maybe think back to what was happening in 1940 in this country. The country was in chaos. The British army was retreating from Dunkirk. Invasion was imminent and certain. Supplies were low, food was scarce, and morale was rock bottom. Ammunition stores were empty. There's no effective defense against the enemy invader. The country is staring defeat in the face. Imagine somebody goes up to number 10 Dining Street and knocks on the door demanding to see Winston Churchill. He says, I must speak with the Prime Minister because I have the answer. The enemy will not conquer. We will not be defeated. I've got the secret of victory. Well, the policeman at the door would look a little bit skeptical. What's he got? An assassination attempt on the invader's leader? A super bomb to wipe them out? Has he persuaded the Americans to join us? No, 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 says the man. I've got a far better solution than all those. The answer is a baby. See, this is the kinder surprise of Isaiah 9. It's what you'd least expect in the face of national insecurity, of political weakness and facing a menacing enemy. The last thing you'd expect is for somebody to prophesy that a baby is the answer. Now, if you remember from the passage, remember what this baby will do. He'll end all oppression. He'll shatter the yoke that burdens them. That means all injustice, exploitation, insecurity, corruption, unfair wages, they'll all be eradicated. Not only that, this baby will end all war. Every warrior's boot will be burned. Well, that's an extraordinary and astonishing thing to say almost unbelievable and yet actually particularly today isn't that what our hearts actually long for you see people lose hope maybe some of you today here this evening you, you think well where, what hope is there where is there any hope you know, we look at the news and open our newspapers and we're just faced with wars and famines and disasters and pandemics and refugees and sex trafficking and financial stress and inflation and political bungling. And our dear NHS and schools are under great stress. And some of you here, I dare say, are involved in that. Incidentally, can I just say, I've been at the hands of the NHS recently and they're wonderful. But it's under stress. And so in people's personal lives, there's anxiety and depression and self-harming and addictions are forever increasing with all the fear and anger that goes with it. One American sociologist, Andrew DeBlanco, wrote this. He wrote a book called The Real American Dream, A Meditation on Hope. He wrote, the heart of any culture is its hope. Hope is the way we overcome the lurking suspicion that all of our getting and spending amounts to fidgeting while we wait for death. 
well, maybe rather cynical, but actually we need a real hope, a solid hope, which actually will face anything in the future, especially death. Because what we believe about the future will actually influence how we experience the present. I don't know if you've ever seen the film or, or seen the play Educating Rita. Wonderful film with Julie uh, Walters and uh, Michael Caine. And Rita is a, a working class hairdresser and she wants to better herself and she enrolls on a university course. But in part of the, the film, she describes this scene where the whole family, every single Friday, would go down to the pub. And she said, it's the same pub every Friday. We go with the same people. We sit in the same seats. We drink the same drinks. And we sing the same songs every week. And on one of these occasions, uh, whilst they were singing, I don't know what it was, down in the old bull and bush or something, whilst they were singing this song, Rita noticed that, that tears were rolling down the face of her mother. And she said, what's wrong, mother? Why are you crying? And she said this, there have got to be better songs to sing than this. There's got to be better songs to sing than this. And however good life is, however wonderful things are, nevertheless, deep down in our hearts, there's this feeling, it's got to be better than this. And the answer to that is that there is a song that's better, and it's called The Kingdom of God. It's called about joining the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus Christ. This baby prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born and a son is given. That's to each one of us. And it's this baby that gives us great hope. Whenever there's a national crisis, the BBC usually brings into the studio some expert to be on the news. So they bring in a wise counsellor or a spokesperson or some expert, someone who's a professor of medicine, something like that. Or as they bring in a powerful leader or influencer, a CEO or a general, and maybe a father figure. If there's some family crisis, some family relational expert, bring in a father figure. I don't know, David Attenborough. We'd all like him to be our granddad, wouldn't we? Or maybe a noble prince, a member of the aristocracy, member of the House of Lords, come and give some stability and advice. Well, all those things are not bad in a crisis. But I wonder if you notice that in verse 6, actually, there's an adjective which comes before each of those descriptions, which lifts it from being purely human into the divine. So it's not just a, a counsellor, but a wonderful counsellor not just a ruler but a divine one not just a father but an everlasting father and not just a prince but a prince that can bring peace 
And of course, each one of those is a wonderful description of Jesus himself. He was, of course, the great counselor. He was a wonderful counselor. By wonderful, it doesn't mean to say, well, he was jolly good at it. It means that when he spoke, he spoke with authority and he backed it up with wonders and deeds and healings and setting people free. He was also a mighty God, but not a God that's totally removed. But the word who became flesh and actually came and dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, when I was a curate, uh, we were in a, a fairly small, semi-detached, uh, sort of two, three up, two, two down sort of house. And so my study was the little room upstairs above the stairwell, a little sort of, uh, uh, almost like a cupboard really, above the stairwell. That was my study. And uh, our two little boys were downstairs playing. And every now and again, my wife would say to me, she said, darling, I'm just popping out to the shops. Don't worry, the boys are playing nicely. I'll be back in a few moments. And then the door would shut. And within a fairly short time, mayhem would break out downstairs. And so I shout down the stairs, boys, come along now, come along. Come along, be good. They'd be quiet. Then a few minutes later, more mayhem. Come on, boys, play nicely. Come on, be good. Quiet. And then a few minutes later, listen, are you listening to me, boys? Will you behave, please? And eventually, of course, I'd actually have to go down and sort them out. You see, the Lord has been sending prophets telling us to behave and play nicely, get on with each other and start loving each other. They've been doing that for a long time. And eventually, Jesus had to come down himself and sort us out and die on a cross so that you and I could be forgiven and rise again from the dead to prove once and for all that it's absolutely true. But he's also the everlasting father. The story of a young man who just passed his driving test and uh, he asked his dad for the car keys. He wanted the family car. Well, his father was a vicar and he said to him, he said, listen, I'll make a deal with you. If you bring up your grades, study your Bible and cut your hair, then we'll talk about it. Well, after about a month, the boy asks again, dad, can I have the car keys? The father says to him, listen, I'm really proud of you, son. I really am. Your grades are much better than they were before. You study your Bible daily, I notice. But you haven't yet cut your hair. There was a pause. Then the son said, well, Dad, I've been thinking about that. Do you know, Samson had long hair. Moses had long hair. Noah had long hair. And I believe even Jesus had long hair. Yes, that's very true, said the dad. But they also walked everywhere. Well, not everyone, I know, not everyone can say that they had good fathers. And actually, I was very blessed to have an amazingly loving father. And I still miss him now, even after 35 years. But actually, what Jesus promises, he says... I'm going to be an everlasting father. I'm never, ever going to let you down. I'm always going to be there for you. 
I'm everlasting and I'm so good. And of course, he's the Prince of Peace. Well, we know something about princes in our royal family. Whatever we may think about them, they run charities, support good organizations, further international relations, ambassadors for world trade. But of course, the one thing they can't do is bring world peace. But of course, Jesus can. The whole government, it says, is on his shoulder. He's prime minister, chancellor, foreign minister, home secretary, and all the cabinet all rolled into one. But the question is, is he doing a good job at it? I noticed the, the line from that, um, that hymn, that carol. 2,000 years of wrong. It almost seems that he's not doing a very good job at it. If anything, there's more war than ever before, more violence, more enmity, especially in his own country where he was born. Now, the darkness seems to be overwhelming. And yet, for those who've put their faith in Christ, the Christian church has begun to see the glimmers of the light of Christ. And we see glimpses of it doesn't often hit the news but Jesus is bringing the light of Christ through his church uh, I received a, a text just the other day about uh, a man in um, Kharkov in Ukraine and he says his city has been bombed by the Russians 4,500 buildings have been destroyed countless lives lost and during this time his church has grown from 150 to 1,500, just glimpses of light, of hope, shining. And they are glimpses that this baby will bring. But one day, when he returns, we shall see it in full. One day there'll be no more war, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more crying, no more death, and all will be well and all manner of things will be well. And Isaiah sees this. He sees Jesus coming first of all, and he sees Jesus coming again. How do we know this will happen? Well, verse 7 says it all. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And zeal is more than just enthusiasm. Zeal is God's committed, determined, passionate loyalty, his utter faithfulness to see his promise fulfilled. It will happen. It's already started. Let me finish by uh, telling you this story about a man called Harrison O'Kaney. Uh, you may have come across, if you ever read The Week, as I do, then he featured in The Week a few weeks ago. Harrison O'Kaney was uh, on a Nigerian tugboat off the Nigerian coast, which scotted the difficulties and sank to the bottom of the Atlantic. And all the crew of the boat were actually drowned, except for Harrison. And he managed to get himself into an air pocket underneath in the boat. And in the darkness, he, he survived for three days sipping on Coca-Cola to keep him alive and praying for a miracle. 
Three days later, he just heard that there were divers looking around the, the, the wreckage, and he just stuck his hand out. And uh, the, one of the divers saw this hand and thought that it was attached to another corpse because they discovered so many so far. And the diver took hold of this man's hand, and to his surprise, the, the hand grabbed him back again. And they excitedly brought him to the surface. Harrison said later, the rest of my life is not enough to thank God for this wonder. It's such a great story of rescue, and you come across these wonderful stories of rescue, some being brought into the light. But actually, the Christmas story is the most wonderful story of rescue. Of, if you like, of, of Jesus holding our hands in the utter darkness and feeling as if we're in darkness without hope, and we grabbing his hand and he brings us into the light so that we have hope. I'm telling you, it's all true. See, Christian hope is not vague, wishful thinking. It's actually certainty based on historical fact. So as I finish, can I ask you, where is your hope this evening? Because wherever our hope is in the future will determine how we experience our lives in the present. And I, I suppose there are possibly three groups of people here tonight. Maybe, you know, you've come along this evening because you actually quite like carol services, but you're actually a fairly convinced either atheist or skeptic. And I understand that. But can I plead with you, can I implore you to think again about the baby? And actually, don't get stuck with the baby. Move on and think again about Jesus Christ. And maybe pray that very daring prayer. Okay, Lord, if you're real, show me. Or maybe, yes, you say, no, 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 I am a Christian. I, I, I do believe in God, but, but I, I just get so confused and bewildered and I, I'm not sure where, where, quite what it's all about. And you know, there's an awful lot of difference between saying, I believe in God, and I believe God. I don't want to shock you, but I, I believe in Vladimir Putin. I believe he's alive, I believe he exists, I believe he works, I believe he does things. But I don't believe his word for one minute. I don't trust him. I don't want anything to do with him. I don't want any relationship with him. And one can say, yes, I believe in God. Well, that's good. It's a good start. But move on from there and say, actually, I don't just believe in God. I actually believe what God has said. When he says, whoever comes to me, I'll never turn away. Whoever opens the door to me, I will come in and eat with him and he with me and we'll have intimacy forever whoever believes in me I will raise up on the last day do you see it's moving away from just believing in him to actually believing what he says or maybe you are actually no I am a true believer I do believe this and I do believe him 
and hang in there. Trust him. He is our hope. And like Harrison say, the rest of my life is not enough to thank God for this wonder. As we sit, let's pray. Lord, as we approach this Christmas time, may we think again and rehearse in our own lives the truth that you came to rescue each one of us. May we rehearse the truth that you grew up to die for us and rise again from the dead for us. And one day, the hope that you'll come back for each one of us. Fill us with hope, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Do be seated just for a moment. In just a moment, I'll give a final blessing and we'll sing one more carol. And then I want to say, don't feel you have to rush away because there are going to be mince pies and mild wine refreshments served here in the church. So hang around. And you'll find in the lobby just on your way out that we've put out two little books and we'd be thrilled if you'd like to take them as a present, our Christmas present if you like. One of them is a copy of John's Gospel. It's very short, John's Gospel. Take you about 45 minutes to read it. But I wonder if, like me, many years ago, I was having an argument with a friend, actually, who was a Christian. At the time, I wasn't. And uh, she challenged me and said, Rupert, I really don't know if you've ever read an account of Jesus' life for yourself. Have you? And I tried to evade. I didn't think I gave an answer. And she said, well, I suggest you read John's Gospel, and then we could have a discussion about him. And I did read it, and I was really surprised. And I would like to say, if you've not read an account of Jesus' life recently, why not brush up on it and see what you think? So there are copies, and that looks like that. And another little booklet called Why Christmas, which in a nutshell tries to explain what it's all about. Let's ask for God's blessing to rest on us. When you leave here, may you go in peace. The wisdom of the wonderful counselor guide you. The strength of a mighty God defend you. The love of the everlasting Father enfold you. And the peace of a Prince of Peace be upon you. And may the blessing of God who is almighty, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, rest upon you now and always. Amen. Please stand for our final carol.